Amen. Thank you, worship team, and our praise choir this morning. Thank you, guys. If, uh, if you didn't hear last week, by the way, that last song was a song that Lauren and our worship team uh, wrote together. So uh, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a beautiful, awesome song, and I love it. So thanks for sharing that with us this morning. Well, I don't welcome you this morning to the Lakes Free Cafe. What do you, what do you think of this backdrop here, huh? Isn't this great? We've, uh, we've managed to transform our stage into a bit of a coffee shop atmosphere here. And uh, this morning is the first in our summer series uh, titled, When God Goes to Starbucks. Now, I've had a bunch of people the last few weeks ask me, uh, now what's the deal with this series? Why this particular title? And, uh, you know, when you think about going out for coffee, right, the coffee shop has really become our modern-day place for community get-togethers, for people to gather and hang out and have conversations. And, you know, when you think about all throughout history, uh, uh, civilizations, groups of people have always had local gathering places where people would come and, and uh, share the latest news of the day and debate political issues and religious matters. And, and so when we talk about going out for coffee, the coffee shop's a great place to have conversations. And that's really what we're going to be doing throughout the course of the next few weeks is, is really sort of having a conversation about some very significant issues, very important questions, questions that people out in our world today are asking. And we as Christians are called to be ready to give an answer for those questions. I've had some great spiritual conversations in coffee shops. In fact, uh, I go up to John's here, Northwoods Roastery. I got my mug with me this morning uh, almost every week, and I've had some great conversations with people up there uh, around spiritual, uh, spiritual matters. Now, you might recall uh, about a month ago, we asked you to submit questions to us uh, for this series, When God Goes to Starbucks. And uh, we had some great questions that were submitted. In fact, we had over 40 unique questions submitted to us for this series. Now, obviously, in six weeks, we're not going to be able to hit on all 40 of those questions. So if your particular question doesn't get addressed, please forgive us. Uh, we did our best in choosing uh, the most common questions that came up and what we felt were really some of the more important issues to discuss. But uh, we had some great questions. And, uh, you know, in fact, let me just give you a little preview of where we're going to be going in the series. Today, we're going to be starting out looking at the question, is there a God and has he spoken? Uh, really a, a fundamental question right there. Next week, uh, Lauren is going to lead us looking at the question of what's the big deal about marriage? You know, I thought this was one of the most powerful questions that we had submitted. Uh, and in fact, we had a number of our young people here in the church ask this very question. Uh, a number of uh, our young people asked the question, when so many marriages fail, why even bother getting married? That's a powerful question, friends. And Lauren's going to deal with the nature and reality and importance of marriage next week. We're going to be talking about uh, one week, the most common question that we received. By far and away, the most common question that we received. What about people who never hear about Jesus? What happens to people who die and they've never heard about Jesus? That's a great question. We're going to deal with that in three weeks. Then on, uh, on July 20th, we're going to look at the question of the nature of God. Is God Old Testament fire and brimstone? Or is God New Testament grace and love? How do we make sense of those two different portrayals of God that we see in the scriptures? And then we're going to deal with a very powerful question that many people wrestle with. Maybe one of the most common questions you hear from people out in our world, and even us within the church ask this question. If God is loving and all-powerful, 
Why does he allow us to suffer? You know, that's a really powerful question. If God is loving and all-powerful, why does he allow us to suffer? We had that question submitted in a variety of ways. Uh, one, of the, one of the most uh, humorous questions that we received was really that basic question, why does God allow us to suffer? This one came in actually from my son Caleb. He said, why are mosquitoes alive? All right? why are, so I, I, I lumped that in with why does God allow us to suffer? All right? And then, uh, and then the last week of our series, Pastor Jim is going to wrap up our series by talking about how do we hold on to faith amidst the questions of life, sort of wrapping up a variety of these different questions we've addressed. Now, I want to look at a few passages of Scripture that really lay the groundwork for why we're doing this series here in the next few weeks. First of all, if we look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, when you think about our charge to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, you know, when you think about an ambassador, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who represents the interests of their home country to a foreign nation abroad. They represent the interests of their home country to a foreign nation. And Paul here tells us that we as Christians are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, friends, as Christians, this world is not our home. The Bible says that we are just temporary strangers or sojourners passing through, that this world is not our home, that our true home is in heaven with God. And so as Christians, we really are ambassadors. We represent our home country of heaven to the world around us each and every day. And as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we represent God's interest. And what is God interested in? God is interested in people. He cares about people, and he wants them to know him and how to have a right relationship with him. And that's our calling as Christians to be ambassadors, sharing the good news of how people can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're also going to follow the admonition given to us in Jude chapter 3, uh, or Jude verse 3 in the coming weeks. In Jude 3 we read, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. You know, one of our callings as ambassadors is at times we need to contend for the faith. We live in a world full of uh, competing truth claims and different ideas vying for people's allegiance. And so as Christians, we need to be ready to contend for the truth of biblical Christianity. We also are given this admonition in 1 Peter 3.15. Peter tells us, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and respect. You know, friends, when you're sitting at the coffee shop having conversations with your friends and neighbors and questions of a spiritual nature come up, are you ready with an answer? Are you prepared to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have? This is a biblical admonition that we've been given. And so, again, this is one of the reasons why we're going to be addressing some of these very important, powerful questions in this series together. Now, while we're going to be addressing a, a variety of very significant questions and subjects in this series in the next six weeks, I want to suggest to you this morning that there are three questions that outweigh all the others. In fact, these three questions, how we answer them, will affect every aspect of our lives. Are you curious yet? 
Let me share a story with you. A couple years ago, I was on a uh, flight out to Portland, Oregon. I was going to be teaching at a Bible school out in, uh, out in Oregon, and I got on the plane, and I sat down next to a young man who was about my age, and uh, this guy was your classic uh, postmodern urban hipster. I mean, this guy, this guy was just really cool-looking dude. I mean, uh, he came in, he had the stylish jeans, he had this really cool blazer jacket with this uh, really stylish T-shirt on underneath that probably cost him 100 bucks, and, and uh, his hair was really messy, but, you know, the kind of messy that takes lots of gel and attention to detail, you know what I'm saying? And... Uh, and this guy sits down next to me, and we were about the same age, so we just struck up a conversation. We started, started off talking about football, and pretty soon that moved into why we're going to Portland, and we talked about our jobs and our families. And Well, in the course of our conversation, this guy, he found out that I was a pastor. Now, this was two years ago, keep in mind. And if you recall, two years ago here in Minnesota, our state was in the middle of a pretty contentious debate over the whole gay marriage issue, remember? Now, as this young man I was sitting next to finds out I'm a pastor, the very first question he asked me, he says, Jason, tell me, what does your church think about gay marriage? Now, I sort of guessed where this guy was coming from because the backpack that he brought with him on the plane, he had a big rainbow patch sewed onto his backpack. So I kind of guessed where he was coming from on this issue. And so I wanted to answer his question, but again, like First Peter says, with gentleness and respect. And so I started sharing with him. I said, well, Matt, his name was Matt. I said, Matt, you know, uh, we believe that the Bible's God's word. And we believe that in the Bible, God instituted marriage. In fact, marriage is the oldest institution ordained by God. And in the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God defines marriage very clearly as the union of one man and one woman in a lifelong committed relationship. And there's no other form of marriage that God condones anywhere in the Bible. And I was going on to explain this, and right before I could say my next words, Matt just jumped into my conversation, jumped into my response, and he said, he said, I just can't believe in a God who wouldn't want people to be happy. Have you ever heard that one before? He said, I just can't believe in a God who wouldn't want people to be happy. Well, I, I said to Matt, I said right away, I said, Matt, you know what, I agree with you 100%. In fact, you know what? God himself has told us what he wants for all of us. And in fact, Jesus in John 10.10 10 told us that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. And so I said, Matt, you know, I agree with you. I think God does want us to be happy. He wants us to know life. He wants us to experience life to the full. But I asked Matt this question. I said, Matt, tell me, what do you think? Who is the best judge of what leads to happiness and life and life to the full? Would it be God or us? And I went on and I explained to Matt, I said, Matt, you know, it's just like me as a parent. As a parent, I often give rules and guide, guidelines to my children, uh, not because I want to squelch their joy, but because I love them and I care about them and I want to protect them and I give them boundaries so that they can grow and mature and, and ultimately experience life and life to the full. You know, like my son Caleb here, for example. Caleb's favorite activity right now, he's eight years old, his favorite activity is riding his bike. He loves riding his bike, and he'll ride his bike all day long if we let him. But Kim and I, we've provided some boundaries for Caleb, some guidelines in, as to how and when he, could ride, he can ride his bike. You know, we have some rules for him. We say, Caleb, you got to wear your helmet. And we've told Caleb, you know, Caleb, you can ride as far as you want up and down our street. But right now, at this age, you're not allowed to go around the block by yourself, Okay. We've told Caleb, we want you to stay on the sidewalk. 
If mom and dad aren't with you, you can ride up and down the sidewalk all you want, but we want you to stay off the street unless we're riding with you. Now, do we give Caleb these rules and guidance to, to diminish his joy in bike riding? To squelch his love for bike riding? Absolutely not. We give Caleb these rules and guidelines because we love him. We care about him. And we want him to grow in maturity. And we want him to enjoy bike riding his whole life as a lifelong hobby, but we want him to do it safely within the boundaries of the guidance that we've given him for his good, for his well-being. And I said to Matt, I said, you know, Matt, when it comes to this question of gay marriage, I said this whole question, this whole debate, it really boils down to three basic questions. I said, number one, is there a God? Number two, has he spoken? And number three, if so, will we trust him and obey I said, Matt, that's really what it all comes down to. Is there God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we obey? Now, friends, this is going to be a foundational claim as we go through this series together the next few weeks. I want you to recognize this, and this will be on the screen behind me. Every apologetic question, every theological issue, every cultural debate, every personal choice we make must ultimately be based on these three fundamental questions. Is there a God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we obey? Now friends, these aren't just the questions for our day and age, but they've always been the questions. These are the fundamental questions that every person must answer. And how we answer them affects everything else. I want to look at a passage of Scripture for us this morning that provides for us a great model of not only being effective ambassadors for Jesus Christ, but also highlights these three very questions for us. It's found in Acts chapter 17, and it's the Apostle Paul's speech to a group of philosophers in Athens. Now, I want to read this for us, starting in verse 22, and as we read it, I want you to see if you can pick out where Paul highlights these three questions. Now, he doesn't phrase them as questions, but he highlights these very issues that I just raised here this morning. Let's read this together, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him 
from the dead. Now, friends, I want you to notice here that in this passage, Paul highlights these same three central truths in his presentation of the gospel. Number one, Paul tells the people of Athens there is a God. Number two, he says that God has spoken. And number three, Paul tells the Athenians that God calls us to obey. Now, I want us to examine each of these three truth claims this morning. Is there a God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we obey? Let's take this first question, for example. Is there a God? You may remember uh, back in February, I had the opportunity to uh, travel to the University of California, Berkeley, where I was there for a week with my friend Sean McDowell holding a series of evangelistic, apologetic uh, rallies and dialogues. And, and uh, during one of our sessions with a group of students there at the University of California, Berkeley, during a question and answer time, uh, one of these students stood up and raised their hand and they said, uh, they said to me, they said, Mr. Carlson, it's impossible for you as a Christian to prove that there's a God. And he said, you just have faith. Now, when the student raised this challenge to me, right away I said to the student, I said, you know what, you're absolutely right. It is impossible for me to prove that there's a God if, by proof, you're talking about observing God and experimenting with God. I said, you're absolutely right. I can't do that. But I said, in the same way, neither can you, as an atheist, by those very same standards, disprove the existence of God. And I went on and I shared with this young man, I said, you know, the reality is, and think about this, friends, the reality is it is philosophically impossible for anyone to be an atheist. Philosophically impossible. As I told this young man, I said, to be an atheist would assume that you have infinite knowledge to know that there is no God. But if you had infinite knowledge, you would be God yourself. And it's pretty hard to be an atheist and God at the same time. You know what I'm saying? It's philosophically impossible to be an atheist. And I went on and I shared with this young man, I said, you know, the reality is every one of us has faith. The question is not whether or not we have faith. The question is what are we putting our faith in and do we have a valid and reasonable basis for what we're putting our faith in? Do I have a valid and reasonable basis for my faith in a creator God as a Christian? That's the real question. But we all have faith. Now, in Acts 17, which we just read, the Apostle Paul highlights for us what theologians call God's general revelation. Paul highlights God's general revelation. And general revelation is really God's self-revelation through creation, where we see God in what has been made. In fact, if you take a look at the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, the apostle Paul d defines this general revelation for us like this. He says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul says we know there is a God by what we see in creation. 
came across a really great quote this week. George Washington Carver, one of our nation's leading scientists in all history, great man. This guy was an agricultural chemist. He discovered hundreds and hundreds of uses for peanuts, for soybeans, for a whole variety of uh, fruits and vegetables. George Washington Carver, he once said, as a very small boy exploring the almost virgin woods of the old Carver place, I had the impression someone had just been there ahead of me. Things were so orderly, so clean, so harmoniously beautiful. A few years later, in the same woods, I was to understand the meaning of this boyish impression because I was practically overwhelmed with the sense of some great presence. Not only had someone been there, someone was there. Years later, when I read in the scriptures, in him we live and move and have our being, I knew what the writer meant. Never since have I been without this consciousness of the Creator speaking to me. The outer doors has been to me more and more a great cathedral in which God could continuously be spoken to and heard from. Friends, George Washington Carver there is echoing what Paul tells us in Romans 1, 19 through 20. We know there is a God by what we see in creation. You know, there are all kinds of terrific arguments for the existence of God based on God's general, revela general revelation in creation. Some of my favorite arguments for the existence of God are, are found in the incredible design that we display, see displayed in the natural world. You know, when you think about, think about the earth, for example, and the incredible design, many scientists have said it's almost like the earth was fine-tuned for life to exist. You know, when you think about the earth, 93 million miles away from the sun, the earth is exactly where it needs to be in our solar system to sustain life. If we were any closer to the sun, we would all burn up. If we were any farther away, we would all freeze. The speed of the earth's rotations, the time it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun, the earth's force of gravity, the earth's levels of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. Scientists have literally shown dozens and dozens of highly restrictive astronomical and physical parameters necessary for life to exist, any one of which, if they were slightly off, even by varying degrees, would make life on earth as we know it impossible. Mathematicians have calculated the odds of all of these things happening by chance as being a trillionth of a trillionth of 1%. In other words, friends, it's a mathematical impossibility. You know, it's no wonder that Psalm 14.1 says it's only the fool who would say in his heart there is no God. Very interesting, one of our nation's heroes, John Glenn, former Senator John Glenn, the first American astronaut to orbit the Earth back in 1962. Do you know in 1998, John Glenn became the oldest human being ever to go into space? John Glenn was invited to go back up to space with the Space Shuttle Discovery when he was 77 years old. Isn't that amazing? John Glenn radioed back to NASA as he looked out the Space Shuttle Discovery. He said, to look out at this kind of creation here and not believe in God is to me impossible. It just strengthens my faith. I wish there were words to describe what it's like. Friends, we see the evidence of God all around us in God's special general revelation given to us in creation. I don't know how many of you saw that sunset last night. How do you look at that sunset and not just see the wonders of God? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. 
The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Friends, that's what we saw last night in that incredible sunset. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The evidence of God is all around us, friends. Not only is there a God, but the second question we have to ask is, has God spoken? If there is a God, has God spoken? Has he reached out to us? When we look back at Acts chapter 17 again, on this question, the Apostle Paul appeals to what theologians call God's special revelation. God's special revelation or his direct intervention in human history. And Paul says that God has revealed himself in a man, Jesus Christ, and given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know the reason why Jesus came into the world? You think you know it? Do you know that Jesus told us very specifically the very reason why he came into this world? He told us exactly why. He said in John 18, 37, speaking to Pontius Pilate, Jesus said, For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Jesus said he came to testify to the truth. You know, many people in our world today hold some very confused notions of truth. You know, for many people in our world today, truth is simply a matter of personal preference, a a personal subjective choice. You know, my opinion versus your opinion. For many people, truth is simply whatever works for me. In fact, this past week I was reading a, a recent survey. A recent survey found that for every person in America that believes they're going to hell, there's another 120 who believe they're going to heaven. Friends, the overwhelming majority of people in our country today believe that when they die, they're going to go immediately to heaven. Now, that's a nice idea, but is it true? Right? When we read passages like Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will go that way. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, friends, Truth is what matters. The way things really are is what matters. Not your personal subjective preferences, not your opinion, not what you wish was the case. What matters is what is true. You know, it'd be like if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor does some blood work and he calls you up the next day and he says, you know, I got some some tough news for you. We did your blood work and we found out that you've got a disease called diabetes. And for the rest of your life, you're going to need a medicine called insulin to control your disease. Now, friends, when your doctor gives you that diagnosis, at this point, it would be absolutely foolish to start to argue with your doctor over your personal preferences of what kind of medicine you'd like to take for your diabetes. You know, it would be absolutely absurd to say to your doctor, ah, you know, doc, I'm not really big into that insulin stuff. Uh, How about some Tylenol? Or, or, or maybe, you know, that, that bubblegum cough syrup my mom used to give me when I was a kid? That was really great. Could I try some of that instead? Friends, that would, be, that would be ridiculous. We don't argue with our doctor because when it comes to matters of truth, we have to do what works, what heals, what remedies our condition. Now, 
if there's a God, and if God has spoken and revealed truth, then that changes everything. In fact, that is everything. Nothing else matters. Knowing God and his will for us becomes of ultimate importance. And so the question is, has God spoken? Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Hebrews tells us that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Bible says that God has revealed himself, his special revelation, his direct intervention in human history. God has revealed himself in two ways. Number one, through the prophets, which today we would recognize as the Bible, the Scripture. And number two, in the person of Jesus Christ. God's direct revelation to humanity through his word and through Jesus Christ. Now, people often say, well, why should I believe the Bible? Why should I believe in Jesus Christ? I mean, maybe there's a God, but how do I know he's really spoken through the Bible and through the person of Jesus Christ? Now, friends, when it comes to those questions, again, there are tremendous reasons for why we believe in the Bible as God's word and the person of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God in human flesh. We have tremendous reasons to believe. We don't have time to go through them all here this morning, but I mean, we could talk about the over 2,300 prophecies in the Bible, most of which have already been fulfilled. We could talk about the over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, every single one of which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We could talk about how to date there have been over 23,000 archaeological digs related to the Bible, not one of which has ever disproved the Bible's account of history. Friends, the evidence that the Bible is the Word of God is overwhelming. We could look at the evidence for Jesus Christ, you know, namely the evidence for the resurrection, that he truly rose from the grave, the empty tomb, the eyewitness testimony, the fact of the rapid growth of the early church in a hostile first century Jewish culture occupied by the Roman Empire. No religious motive for this church to start. No political motive for this church to start. In fact, the disciples, they had nothing to gain and everything to lose by professing Jesus Christ. We could talk about how each, every single one of the early disciples, except for John, died a terrible, horrible martyr's death professing Jesus as the risen Lord. Friends, the evidence that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus is the Messiah, is literally overwhelming. We have tremendous reasons to believe that God has spoken. Faith for the Christian isn't blind, friends. Faith for the Christian is walking confidently in the direction the evidence leads. Now, let me give you a little preview. If you're interested in learning more about some of these reasons to believe, we got an incredible event coming up this next year. February 27th through March 1st next year, we have, coming to Lakes Free, literally, friends, one of the greatest Christian apologists in all of history is going to be coming to our church. Arguably the most significant Christian apologist of the 20th century. February 27th to March 1st, mark your calendars, Josh McDowell and his son Sean McDowell are going to be coming here to Lakes Free doing a weekend conference, giving us a whole host of reasons to believe why we believe what we believe. It is truly going to be an incredible historic time. And I want you to mark your calendars right now, February 27th to March 1st. It's going to be a really special event. But friends, the point of this is this morning, there is a God, and he has spoken. And this leads us to the last and most important question of all. Will we obey? Will we trust and will we obey? 
If there is a God, if he's spoken, will we trust him and will we obey? In Acts 17.30, Paul says that God has called each of us to repent. In other words, he's called us to trust him and to obey. Now, a couple years ago, I was up north fishing with uh, one of my best buddies from uh, college, a guy named Scott, and we were on a, uh, a lake way up north by the Boundary Waters. And we were fishing for smallmouth bass, and this lake was a really beautiful lake. I mean, it was full, just pristine, natural, beautiful lake. It was full of huge rocks and boulders and islands and just bays filled with beautiful rock, crystal clear water. And uh, we were out fishing for smallmouth bass, and we pulled around the corner of this lake, and we saw this beautiful bay that just looked like perfect smallmouth bass territory. And, uh, and so I had my, uh, my smartphone with me here, and I opened up my iPhone, and I've got an app on my iPhone called Navionics. And it's an incredible app. It actually has almost every lake in North America mapped out with high-tech satellite technology, with the highest-tech sonar imaging uh, technology. They've mapped out almost every lake in North America. And I got this on my phone, right? So I open up my Navionics app, and I look at where we are in this lake, and wouldn't you know it, sure enough, the Navionics app has this bay all X'd off with big red X's and big red warning buoys, basically saying, don't go in there. This is a treacherous area. There's, it's full of rocks. You don't want to go in there. This is what my navigation app is telling me. Don't go in this bay. Well, my buddy and I are looking at this app, and we're looking at this bay, and we're thinking, oh, man, there's got to be some great fish in there, right? Now, at this point, I have a choice to make. Do I trust the satellite imaging technology that's created this app? Or do I go with what my gut's telling me and go after the smallies? Well, foolishly, I ignored the navigation app. And we started our way into this bay. And wouldn't you know it, we got about 25 yards or so into this bay and my trolling motor battery died on me. And the wind was blowing, the waves were pretty high that day. And pretty soon we start drifting towards this area with lots of big boulders. We could see them under the water. It was crystal clear water. And I start cranking on my motor, trying to get my motor going. My motor wouldn't start. We are dead in the water, and we are heading straight for these boulders. We ended up crashing into these boulders. My buddy jumped out of the boat. He's bracing my boat up against these boulders that we're pounding into. My boat gets beat up for about a half hour. We're lucky the thing didn't sink, but it's getting pounded against these rocks for about a half hour while I'm trying to get my motor started again. Friends, all because, like a fool, I ignored the navigation app that was right here in front of me. You know, friends, what if there was a navigation app for life? What if there was a map maker who's revealed truth to us? and given us a path that leads to life and life to the full. Would you follow his direction? You'd be a fool not to. I want to tell you something this morning. There is such an app. There is a map maker. There is a guide that shows us how we can know life and life to the full. It's God's word, his revelation to each of us. I want to take a look at God's navigation app this morning and just let's take a look real quickly at what God says about the foolish person versus the wise. It's found in Proverbs chapter 14. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, 
but those who despise him are devious in their ways. Keep going through these verses, please. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Keep going, please. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed yet feels secure. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. You know, friend, as we're here this morning, maybe you find yourself today drifting off course. Maybe you see yourself heading for the rocks. Or maybe you've intentionally charted a path off course, thinking that you know best. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears to be right to men and women, but in the end it leads to death. Maybe your life is headed off course. Maybe you've already hit the rocks and the damage has already been done. The good news this morning, though, friends, is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. God is a God of grace and love who's willing to forgive us. But he says, my people must first humble themselves. They must turn from their wicked ways, and they must seek my face. You know, forgiveness, friends, is more than just saying a prayer and then continuing on in the sinful lifestyle that you're engaged in. You know, you can't say a prayer and then continue to ignore that navigation app. Forgiveness is about humbling yourself, acknowledging that you've strayed off course, turning to God, seeking his face once again. And God says that when we do this, he will forgive us. He will heal us. That's good news for those of us who find our lives drifting off course. I want to encourage you this morning, friends. If that's where you find yourself today, whether intentionally or whether by accident, your life drifting off course, heading for the rocks, outside of God's will for your life, turn to him. Put your trust in him. Repent of your sins and he will forgive you. Is there a God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we obey? Friends, there are no more important questions for us to consider than these. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the evidence that you are with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've spoken truth. And mostly, Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel the hope that we have to get our lives right with you through your son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for our sins. Lord, help us walk faithfully in that path. Lord, if any of us have been playing the fool lately, straying from your will, I just pray, Lord, that we'll come back, that we'll turn from our sins, we'll humble ourselves, we'll seek you once again and get back on that path that leads to life and life to the full. Thank you for these great and precious promises you've given us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Let me send you off with this, friends. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. And now may the grace and peace of God be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Amen. God bless you this week. Have a great week. Don't forget, join us over at the Praise Fest this afternoon. Amen.